This is now our fourth week um, in this pastoral epistles series that we're doing while Ben and Heather are on sabbatical. And so as a quick recap, right, this is, like I said, the pastoral epistles, which is First and Second Timothy and Titus. And I think, um, I know sometimes someone out there, maybe me, maybe some other people have had thoughts that say, this is written to pastors, right? These are written to his, Paul's disciples, and you can kind of say, I'm not really a pastor. I'm not an elder. Kind of like Charles was saying, I'm not a leader. Does this apply to me? And I think Alan mentioned it last time, but it really does apply. Um, and so I think deep down we know that, but even as a sneak peek to today's reading in verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. So this was written to Timothy, but it does apply to all of us. Um, and so as a quick intro too, like Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus, right? And so he's young. I think he's estimated to be around 30 or so or in his early 30s. And, and so he's um, dealing with some issues at Ephesus. It's not really his fault. There's not a really a rebuking to Timothy, but it's, he's dealing with some problems. And so Paul's writing this letter, which is kind of an encouragement letter, right? And so it's a little different than some of the other um, epistles we read where there's a little more... Uh, rebuking might be a better word. So like that, we should try and accept this as an encouragement, right? So hopefully we'll present it as an encouragement. But, um, uh, but to move on, there's two main sections, right? There's the first five verses and the second uh, 11 in this chapter four. And so um, I kind of see this as a, Tim, Paul is giving Timothy a prescription, right? Like the medical hardwired brains thinks of this as kind of a prescription, but it's important to know what is the prescription for. So we're gonna spend some time on the first five verses of what's going on in the church, and then we'll talk about the prescription part. So I'll turn it over to Jenna. If you want, there's some notes in the back, um, and then I'll turn it over to you. Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Scott. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna pray for our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to come together and study your word. Um, I just pray that you open our hearts so that we can apply it to our lives after we leave this room. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so when I read my Bible, there are some scriptures in it that sometimes make me nervous. And the, what we're about to go over is one of those scriptures. Um, the thing is, if you read it out of context from the rest of the Bible, I think you could fall prey to that. But as Pauline shared with us today, um, once you're in the context, it's not as scary. So I'm going to read the first five verses to you and see if you can see what I'm talking about. First Timothy chapter four, one through five. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Okay. Um, see if you were paying attention what which verses <laughs> made me nervous. Timothy is leading a church in Ephesus, and he's got a problem. Um, within his church body, there are members who claim to be Christian, but they are teaching and adhering to false doctrines, and they're misleading members of the church and maybe new people, new, new to the faith. 
All right. My initial gut reaction when I read this is, ah, could this happen to me? Could I uh, be misled and, you know, turn away from the faith, right? So that's kind of a fear-based thing. Um, Whenever you're in the hospital, before we can treat a problem, we have to know what the problem is. So I'm going to force you guys to look at these um, five verses pretty closely so we can see how to treat it and prevent it from happening, okay? For some clarification, in verse 1, Paul tells Timothy that the Spirit expressly says this, that people are going to turn away from the faith. This is something that the apostles of the time, of the time knew about. It, it, um, the Holy Spirit had kind of warned them that this was going to happen. They were not surprised by it, okay? Um, and so Paul's advice is going to be to Timothy to help him deal with this. Um, another note in verse 1, it warns about this happening in the later times. And I want to be clear that the later times last from when Jesus died and was resurrected until when he comes back. Yeah, so there's a whole span of time here that this applies to. And we here in 2023 at LHC, we're, we're included. Timothy's battling this. We are also going to have to deal with this, okay? Um, to get more in-depth about this problem, I'm going to make you learn two fancy words, all right? And the first one is apostasy. If you were my kids, I would make you repeat that to me a few times. But apostasy, um, what that means is it's what Paul's talking about in verses 1 and 2. And it means the abandonment or the renunciation of your faith, okay? So this is a lot different than my initial fear, like I might accidentally just wander away because of hearing lies or false things. It's more of a choice that people are making. It's a free will choice to believe in things that are unbiblical, um, even though they've been taught better. So it gets even deeper than that when verse 1 goes on to say that this, is, this apostasy is evidence of um, people devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and doctrines that are fed to them by demons, okay? Um, so it's not just a confused accidental mistake people are making. Um, people are choosing to teach and believe in a heretical gospel and spread it around, all right? Um, Paul goes further to say that their consciences are seared, all right? And if anyone remembers, you know, what your conscience is for, you know, um, you know, whistle, give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your guide, right? Your conscience is a, a spiritual organ God gives you to tell you right from wrong, right? So if it's seared, if it's hardened and blackened, toughened up, it's not going to be able to do its job properly. Um, so um, it, it doesn't bother these people that they're lying to people within the church, all right? Uh, some of the commenters, when we were studying this, even went as far to say that that seared term could mean branded, as in branded by Satan. Their consciences are property of Satan, okay? So they're in the church, but they're not doing the Lord's work. They are dividing and confusing people, all right? Um, I think I should point out that this church is in Ephesus, and there's, a, there's another book in the Bible that was written to the church here, Ephesians, and in verse chapter 6, verse 12, sorry, um, that says we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Um, we, we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, so it's not just, you know, Joe Schmo next to you telling lies. It's, there's, there's an ulterior sometimes motive behind it, okay? <clears throat> um, 
So I want to re-emphasize, it'd be hard to accidentally be taking a part, part of this if you're in the church, all right? And thankfully, the rest of the chapter gives us some advice on how to deal with these issues, so we're not, we don't need to be scared about it. Um, the second fancy word I'm going to force you to, learn, to look at and learn is called asceticism. Asceticism, asceticism, all right? That, um, that is what he's, Paul is dealing with in verses three through five, all right? Within Timothy's church, the apostates there are spreading these false doctrines that say um, they kind of dilute the gospel into a transaction, as in, well, if you want to be saved, then you need to do this. If you do this, then you'll be saved, all right? Um, the definition of asceticism means the severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgences, typically for religious reasons, right? So um, it's kind of, it's even more insidious because it, those can be good things. Christians do those and it's good for Christians to do those. But um, it's not, the message has been twisted so they, that they're saying your salvation comes if you do these good things, right? And that's where the heresy is. It's not the gospel. The gospel says, Jesus gave you the gift of your salvation before you were reading your Bible, before you were, you know, sacrificing. He didn't give that to you because you were doing that. And I would argue that once you have his salvation, those things might be things that you do because of that, but that's not why God saved you, all right? Um, Like, for example, self-discipline, avoiding bad things, fasting from food or social media or whatever God might tell you is, can be good for you. And Scott and I might ask you to do some of those things at the end of our own sermon. <laughs> so they're not bad things, but you need to get the, the organization of them right. You do those because you have been saved. They do not earn you more of God's love or um, give you your salvation. So it's also pretty cruel to teach other people that that's how you become a Christian. <clears throat> um, it would also be naive of us to think that Timothy solved all these problems for the church back then, way back then, thanks Timothy, and that now we can be blissfully ignorant of, of these issues, but because I think we do need to be on, on guard for this. Um, I don't think we see the same false doctrines, like specifically in these verses, they were telling people uh, it's better to be single, don't get married. They were telling people don't eat certain foods. We don't deal with those issues. We deal with our whole new modern set of false doctrines coming from within the church at times, right? Um, and Timothy's church, they were kind of isolated to just that membership and those messages coming from there. We get bombarded by these messages from all over nowadays on YouTube, internet, etc. So it's almost more important for us to be on guard, I think. Um, we get an overexposure. So thankfully we have some things that we can do to prevent and um, help us deal with this and Scott's going to take over from here. Back to you, Scott. Yeah, so like Jenna was saying, I think it is important. This is, uh, you can't lose your salvation accidentally, but you can be misled. Jesus does warn that we could, you know, if possible, the elect could be misled. And so that's why this is such an important thing that Paul is talking to Timothy about. Um, and I wanted to personally say, now that Ben's on sabbatical, we're not implying that LHC has heresy. This is more out there, right? But it is something to guard against. So, and how do you guard it? How do you recognize it? So, so now we know our diagnosis, right? Like there's a problem going on in this church. And so how is Paul going to suggest uh, that Timothy, Timothy deals with it? 
Um, so we're going to read the rest of the chapter, which is long, but bear with me. So we're going to read 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness training is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Whew. So that was a lot, right? And so there is like a ton of awesome stuff in there. We won't be able to go through it all, but it is, um, it is kind of amazing. And so um, we'll try and unpack it as best we can, but... When I first read this, I was kind of like, well, it doesn't really seem like Paul answered the question. I don't know. It just kind of seems like he went over here. But, but I think back in verse 7, it talks about don't deal with irreverent, silly myths. And that's what I think he's referring back to the heresy. He's like, don't make all your focus go onto these silly myths. Like, that's not where you should be putting all your time and energy into, right? He's got a bigger, higher calling of if you focus on this, then that stuff will kind of take care of itself, like, it's like arguing with a kid, right? Like you can't, if you just, you just go nowhere if you just keep arguing with them. Um, and so back in verse seven, it also talks about training yourself for godliness. And that's our main focus here. Um, and so before we know what we're training for or what, how to train, we need to know what we're training for. So we're gonna talk about what godliness is. And so um, I'm gonna break the rules and go out of 1 Timothy 4 and go to 1 Timothy 3, 16, which is actually the last verse, so it's not that far. But here's, here's the definition that Paul gives. It says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So the godliness is Jesus, right? That is the, he is the visible imitation of the invisible God, right? So we're training to become like Jesus, um, and kind of like we were warning earlier, right, this is not training to earn Jesus. We are training to become like Jesus because he has saved us. Um, and so really what this ends up being is this ends up being about Christian maturity, right? Like this is how we're growing as a Christian. We've already been saved, and now how do we grow, and how do we protect ourselves? Um, and so in accordance with this training, Paul compares physical or bodily training to training for godliness, um, I'm going to reread this just so we have it in our heads. It says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Um, and so he's not really saying bodily exercise is bad, right? The medical part of me says, no, you have to exercise. But he's just pointing out how much better is this training for godliness. Um, and even back then, even more than what we do now, physical exercise was such a big part of the culture. Um, it was even really idolized, you know, obviously inappropriately, but... 
Um, so this, this would have rung true even for them back then. So we'll talk about training for a little bit. Um, I love sports, so I'm really glad we got this, this part. So um, that's what comes to my mind is like a world-class athlete training for the championship, right? Probably put on, should have put on some Rocky music here and get a training montage going. And, but no, we didn't do that. So, um, but that's what I want you to think about, right? Like how does a world-class athlete train? And so they're, they have self-discipline. They sacrifice things. They're in their craft every day, right? And so, not that they don't do anything else, but they, they make this their life, and that, they make this their, this is what they're training for. Um, and so, I'm gonna jump into the how and the why, or at least set that up, but before we go there, some of you may be thinking, Scott, you've kind of forgot about God. Like, doesn't God sanctify us, right? And so, that is totally true, obviously. Um, and so, but I think there's an important point where God sanctifies us, but we also have a role to play. Because um, God promises to conform us to the image of his son in Romans. But at the same time, there are texts like this and like others that say we have a job to do, right? We don't save ourselves, but after we're saved, we have a job to do. Um, and so, just like an athlete, right? Like you can't just sit on the couch. You're not going to get any better. Um, you can't just sit there and say, God, go ahead, sanctify me. I'm ready. Just sit there. Um, I like this quote from Wayne Grudem um, in his Systematic Theology book. He says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So in this sense, Christianity is an act of religion. Um, we have to kind of actively seek it. Okay, so, like I said, we're going to talk about why do we need to become more like Jesus, and then how do we become more like Jesus. So the why, besides just the Bible says you should, uh, we came up with four reasons, um, because Paul's asking Timothy a lot, right? He's asking him to double down and dedicate his life to training for godliness um, here. And so, three of these reasons are from this chapter, and then I stole one from Hebrews as well. So, the first one is we're training for eternity, Right, so verse eight um, says that while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. So this training has infinite value, right? When we're training, if an athlete's training for a championship, their training is valuable, but then at some point, the, the training's over. They, they can't go any further, right? So it, it runs out of its usefulness. But in this sense, the training goes on and its worth goes on into eternity. And which is crazy to me because as you read this, it's somehow implying that the training we're doing now is going to affect eternity, which is just kind of a, a cool, hard to understand part, but somehow what we're doing now is gonna affect our eternal lives. Um, but I also wanna say don't mistake that it doesn't help you now, right? Jesus points out, I gave you a Mark quote that I won't read this time, but Jesus points out that your life is gonna be better now too, but it's just, the goal is so much higher than what, what you're doing if you're just bodily exercising. Um, so the second reason is in verse 10. It says, because we have our hope set on the living God, right? And so um, this is kind of one of the reasons we brought up this asceticism part, is that Paul is talking about toiling and striving, right? He's talking about really digging in, suffering, putting in hard work, and so he's, he's asking us to sacrifice, which kind of sounds like what they were doing, but the difference is their hope is set on the living God. We're not earning that salvation, but because of God, 
we're 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 because of that hope in God, we're going there. And so, um, in Christmas time, Ben talked about hope, right? And so that's why I wanted to take a quick moment to define hope here, real quick. But this word "elpis" means like a confident expectation or like an anticipation, right? And so the hope we have in God is not, I hope God's going to come through, right? Because I couldn't really ask you to, or Paul couldn't ask you to train this hard just in case God comes through, right? We know God's going to come through. We're waiting for it to fully come through. And so that's how we can do that hope, right? If you're training for a championship, you hope you win. That's different, right? You guys, you hope the sermon ends soon. <laughs> but we're not sure. It could, it's, it's only 1130. We'll see. Right? So we're not hoping God's going to come through. We know he's going to come through. Um, and so the third reason is in Hebrews, right? In, in the Hebrews, what they're doing, the author is, he's kind of criticizing them because they've not been as mature as they should be. And, um, and so the, because of that, they were having a hard time discerning good and evil. So let's read Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So this kind of goes back to Timothy's problem, right? There's evil in his church and there's heresy and how is he going to discern, um, discern the good from evil? And so even the pastor is not... Uh, not What's the right word? He's not um, given a break, right? Even the pastor needs to train to discern the good from evil. Um, and in verse 16, Paul warns Timothy to persist in this, like to save himself and to save, excuse me, save others. Um, all right, one more reason, and I'll turn it back over to Jenna. So in verse 15, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress, right? And so we're training so that others will see our progress as we grow, Right? So as you grow, and we said we're growing to become more like Jesus, as you grow to become more like Jesus, people are going to see that. And when people see that, that's a testimony, right? And when they see how you've changed, that's a perfect time to give God glory, right? Jesus gets the glory because of how you're changing from that work between God and man. All right. So let's go to the how, and I'll give it back to Jenna. Thanks, Scott. Um, Scott left me with the preachy part of our sermon, which uh, I'm not mad about. If you've ever heard that saying, the Lord works in mysterious ways, I would claim that I need to hear this sermon a lot, and that's why I have to be up here teaching it to you. Um, So this chapter, you know, it gives us a warning of what can be happening within your, your church. God forbid this church, you know, but these four walls, you can have false doctrines. And Scott told us why we need to be on guard against that um, and prepare ourselves as Christians. We shouldn't be surprised that it's happening, right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about how um, we can do that, some practical ways. And it's a real simple answer. How can we train for godliness? It's just three words. Be like Jesus. (laughs) So I want to be like, okay, go home. Just be like Jesus. But um, I'm going to try and flesh that out a little bit, okay? Um, When you want to be more like someone it's important to go study them. What are they doing? Like, what are they doing? What can I copy? And what can I incorporate into my life, right? So the first thing, Scott and I, like, we decided that praying 
um, praying, when you look at Jesus, the life of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, I don't know that many people pray more than Jesus in the Gospels, okay? Um, so we can't emphasize like how important this is for your maturity as a Christian. Um, Jesus, he would, he would be late for sermons because he was praying. He would disappear and people would say, where's Jesus? And it's because he's praying, you know? I'm always convicted um, because Jesus is the eternal son of God. He existed in relationship with God before he came down to be with us on earth. And he felt the need to pray all the time. So how can we, just mere humans, think that's not important for us, you know? Um, we, we should be praying. That's an easy way we can copy Jesus. Um, <clears throat> this just gets back down to the basics of relationships. If you meet a new person or you want to get to know a person better, you do that by talking to them. And we should be talking to our Heavenly Father, you know, and letting him know our heart and getting to know him, right? Um, practical ways you can do this. <sighs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, just... You can, you can set a timer. You can get up early before your kids. You can set a timer. I'm going to go for five minutes, just like training in the, in the sport. Like, try for five minutes. Extend it to ten minutes. Work yourself up to it. Um, pray and ask God to put the desire in you to pray. You know, you don't have to do this by yourself on, of your own power. Asking God to help you do it um, is a great way to start. If I get into a prayer rut, I sometimes will ask friends, what can I pray for you about? So I could just get out of my own head and just, I need to pray for them. Out of love for them, I get down and start praying more. Um, so those are, that's one of the ways we can copy Jesus. Another one is um, just scripture. This, this book, the Bible, that we have, um, you, you see Jesus use scripture in the New Testament, and he's like a master swordsman. He uses it to defend against false doctrines in the temple. Um, we see a very... An example of Jesus doing exactly what we're talking about when Satan tries to tempt him in the desert. He is weakened. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And here comes Satan, who, by the way, knows the scriptures, okay? And he tries to use those against Jesus. But because Jesus knows the scriptures inside and out, it doesn't, it's, he's not tempted. It doesn't work, right? That's kind of what we're asking you to do, right? Study these words. Um, verse 6 of chapter 4 that we read to you today you know, Paul tells Timothy to be trained in the words of faith. Um, the Christian Standard Bible version says to be nourished by the words of faith. And you see this, the Bible described as food a lot in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So if you think of the Bible like your food, um, or you think of an athlete that's training, they probably eat the foods that help them do the job they want to do, right? With we should be eating the, the food that's going to help us grow and do the job that we need to do. Um, we should be eating the word in our daily life, right? Without nourishment, we, we end up as weak and anemic Christians where it's hard to defend against untruths when you haven't been consuming a healthy diet of truth, okay? Um, the Bible, <laughs> to help you guys start reading the Bible, I don't know, it's... I feel like someone's trying to sell a diet program, but you just sometimes you just have to sit down and do it. You can um, start a Bible plan. You can read your Bible. Um, read your Bible like Ben might ask you to come up here and teach from it one day. <laughs> um, ask for, ask, get a Bible buddy to be accountable and check in on you and say, how are you doing? Read with your kids. Uh, we just got to 
pray and ask God to help you reprioritize your day um, that the Bible, you know, is up high on that list. It's a requirement. It's like eating. Um, <clears throat> another way we see Jesus and we can copy him is just worshiping. Jesus is in the temple a lot in the New Testament. He's not just flipping tables and um, reproofing, <laughs> you know, the Pharisees. He is in there worshiping his father a lot. Um, Jesus takes place in the holy um, days, the, the celebrations and holidays of the time, which back then they were mostly just an acknowledgement of how awesome God is, you know, um, acknowledging and being grateful for the blessings that God has given them. That's kind of what their holidays were like. And the definition of worship is the feeling and expression of adoration, right? Um, not only can I tell you it's important, it's, it's one of the literal reasons God created us was to worship him, right? That's the purpose that he put in us. It's almost like a, a cheat code. He's like, he's given you, your soul, the desire to worship him. It should be easy for us, but as soon as we take our eyes off the Lord, we're going to start worshiping something that's not him, like ourselves mostly, um, celebrities, our kids, money. We need to keep God in proper alignment, and worship, worship does that for us, right? It keeps me in the proper alignment with God, which is underneath him. Um, we should be trying to make worship a priority in our lives as mature Christians, this, this is something that we don't only have to do on Sundays. Sundays worshiping together, it's so sweet because your soul is just doing what it was made to do. But um, it does not have to be musical because some of us are not gifted with uh, musical talents. You need a, what, what can we do where we can find time to adore God during the week? It can be just on a walk outside. It can be in your car. It can be when your kids do something especially ridiculous and kid-like. Like, what? Can you say, Wow. God, you're amazing. Like, that's the kind of attitude we should be having and taking with us outside these walls. <clears throat> um, there are, if we look at the life of Jesus, there's so many more ways we can emulate him and be like him. He discipled other people. He taught them what the words meant. He cared for the poor, the sick, the helpless. And ultimately, he gave up his life for these people. So he was serving others, right? Um, this, this kind of feels, sometimes it feels impossible to do all these things when life is, you know, got you running in a, um, it feels like you're in a washing machine. But <clears throat> I want to encourage you that, like we were saying, this is not something you do on your own. God sent a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help you do these things, right? Um, Michael had a word before where he said, the, you know, the, the promises aren't dead. They're still here. When you become a Christian um, God promises that he's going to sanctify you. It's not like a cross your fingers, I hope, I hope this happens. When you become saved, it's more like that word Scott was using for hope. Um, if, if a boulder is like falling off a cliff, you know it's going to hit the ground eventually. When you get saved, you know you're going to be sanctified. All right? And we, are not, we don't have to do it alone. We, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Um, so we need to just step into that promise and realize that's my life now and um, work with the Holy Spirit to work out our salvation and sanctification down here. Um, and our last suggestion is quite literally, you have a lot of other helpers here in LHC. <laughs> You've been plunked down at this church for however long, for whatever reason, but we are all 
walk on this road together. And I encourage you, if someone has a prayer life that you admire, reach out to that person and say, hey, can you tell me how in the world you got to that point? Because they didn't get there through nothing, right? Um, Utilize as a small group leader, I think I can say this, like use and abuse your small group leaders. Join a small group and beat those people up. Get them to help you. Like we should be honing each other and sharpening each other. Um, We're not alone in two ways. We have the Holy Spirit in each other. So, yeah, I'm going to turn it back to Scott. All right, well, hopefully this has been an encouragement. Um, In case you kind of tuned into YouTube for the last three minutes, I'll give a quick recap. But there really is heresy in the church, right? Not the whole church, but there are, you know, heresy teachings out there, and we do need to guard against those. Um, And so if you're a Christian, then this is kind of the next step, right, to becoming mature, is this training for godliness. Um, And so we gave you some whys and hows, and the hows really easy, just be like Jesus, like she said. Um, And I think one more thing, because she was harping on the training thing, it struck me that, uh, you know, God never does anything by accident, right? This discipleship study is coming up this week with the woods, right? And that's exactly what you need, right? You either need to be a trainer or get a trainer or both. And so, um, like Jenna said, this isn't to be done alone. So um, I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and then we'll say a prayer, and then we'll worship one more song, all right? Um, and so also we're going to pray for the Mozambique people after, but if this has struck a chord with you and you need some prayer, then come on up after and we'll stick around as well and and pray. Um, but let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you did the hard work and saved us, Lord. You saved us from our sins and you've invited us into the family. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us the... Uh, motivation and the desire and the energy to go out and pursue you and train to be like you. Um, We ask that you give us the motivation to put in the hard work that's needed for the joy that's set before us. Um, And Lord, I just ask that you would just light that fire in our our hearts, that we would uh, seek you more and more every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.